Well, we covered faith. Well, let's cover terrorism. We actually talked about this briefly back in uh, the high ground, TNG. That was, gosh, that was almost a year ago now, wasn't it? Time flies, am I right? As we were talking about that episode, uh, I brought up you know a lot of the vague comments and concepts regarding that. One viewer, I, I'm sure you don't remember, because again, this is almost a year ago, but one viewer was like, hey, you know, I think Kira would, would disagree with the idea of acceptable targets and civilian targets and all that fun stuff, because I brought that point up. She would call them collaborators. Now, what I find funny about that is we'll actually have another episode further on from this one where we really discuss collaboration, but even in this episode, <clears throat> Kira makes it very clear that she thinks that they're all guilty. Now, I'm not willing to say whether that's correct or wrong, but I do find it very interesting that that's the opinion that was taken, that rather than having some sympathy or seeing the other part had a side or... Well, basically, rather than having Kira do the right thing, she does the human thing. I'm just going to put that as bluntly as I can. Because she doesn't, you know, accept this. She doesn't forgive. She doesn't forget. Instead, she doubles down because, well, it's obvious why. I mean, ignoring the fact that the Cardassians caused a level of devastation to Bajor that's hard for us to fathom in real life, there's also the fact that this man has personally killed several of her friends over the last few days in what is effectively a fear campaign. And, uh, yeah, I'm with that. It's interesting to see that, because it would have been easy for her to be like, you know, oh, well, I understand, or oh, you're right, or have some kind of introspection. No, screw all that. You deserve to die. Every last one of you was guilty. I don't care if you were actually out assaulting people or if you were ironing clothes. Now, that's interesting in its own right, because, first of all, Kira herself doesn't actually agree with that. As we've seen before, Kira's opinion towards the Cardassians has leveled out significantly. And at the same time, though, what she is now thinking is in the direction of... How do I phrase this? You know what? I'm getting into the heaviest thing right at the start. Let's rewind. Let's save that for later. This is an episode directed by Mike Vihar. And you could tell immediately upon looking at it, because the man has a very unique visual style. I brought this up. He did Coming of Age all the way back in TNG, and I brought up him as a director back then. And it's because he has such an interesting list. Here, let me, let me just look at this here. So we've got Rocks and Shoals, which is a DS9 vehicle, uh, Barge of the Dead over on Voyager, The Void over on Voyager, Stratagem over on Enterprise, ironically also having Randy Oglesby uh, as a guest star in that episode as well. The man has a very unique uh, visual style to his shots and his cuts, and he does a really good job of it. My favorite shot in the episode by far is a static shot in Odo's office, where Kira warps in, grabs the thing, warps out. Odo comes in, sees that his chair has moved, and immediately picks up on it. It's a great scene, but it's also very interesting visually. They don't direct it in, in you know the usual way you do that kind of camera work. Anyways. <clears throat> uh, by the way, as a quick aside, I do like... Uh, Mr. Oglesby, I hope I'm saying his name right. He's done a few off-handed roles over the years, but I'll always remember his, him as Degra. The man added a, a lot of dimensions and and fleshing out of Degra to make him what he needed to be as a character. That, that, he did a good job, is all I'm trying to say. So, we start off, the Bajorans are in some caves, this guy's killed. Very precise killing, make sure it just kills him. And I, I had a quick thought as I was watching this. What is it with Bajorans and caves? 
Now, we know the real answer for that. Cave sets are cheap and relatively easy to have, and Paramount Studios has several of them. I've actually pointed this out a few times in both TNG and DS9, and I think I brought it up in Voyager, too. They, li they like to reuse the same cave sets because they have them. It brings the budget down. And, well, DS9 was already having some budget issues. In fact, this is the second time uh, of three times so far that Shakar should have actually shown up on an episode because it would make sense. I mean, why wouldn't Shakar be there at the signing of the, Feder of the Federation joining of Bajor, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. But they couldn't afford to have him show up for basically, what is this, like a 30-second cameo, so he wasn't there. Budget! It's always a problem. See, this is why animation works better in some ways than live action. Because in an animated thing, you could just draw Shakar in the background. The end! You don't have to bring the voice actor in. You don't have to give him any lines. He's just there. Continuity maintained. And note the message is very precise as well. They actually make a point of mentioning that the message showed up almost to the second at the same time that the shot was fired to kill the first guy. Now... I'm pointing this out because no one in the episode does, except for like Odo right towards the end. No one points out how amazingly precise all of these attacks are. It's actually kind of ridiculous, and in fact, if I'm being so bold, it's one of the weaker parts of the episode. <clears throat> so, you know, ta-da, he's dead. He died serving the prophets. I'm sure they'll take care of him. Will they? One of the interesting things about the Bajoran religion is that the prophets are right over there. Like you just take a ship and go chat with them. That's a thing you can do. They usually won't chat back, but they're there. Everyone knows they're there. But they never cover the afterlife. They, there's lots of thoughts that there is an afterlife, but they never discuss it in any significant extent. I have a feeling, pure headcanon, that they had allowed the Bajoran religion to exist, and by they I mean the money people in charge of things, mostly studio executives, had allowed the Bajoran religion because it kind of wasn't. You know? I mean, that would be like protesting when Trelane calls himself God, or when Q calls himself God, right? I mean, they're right there, <laughs> right? But touching on the afterlife was probably considered just too hot button. Let's, let's just leave that over there, and we'll, we'll, we'll not get into it. Anyways, <clears throat> so what do you guys think? I'm just curious. Do you think there's a Bajoran afterlife? Specifically Bajoran. I mean, I imagine we get all kinds of responses here, and let's keep it civil. It's always rule zero, well, rule one, actually, is don't be a dick. So let's keep, let's keep it civil here, but I'm just curious, because there's some evidence that there is. Like, it's entirely possible that Bajoran people, when they die, are basically brought into the wormhole dimension or whatever, and that's the rest of their existence. And there's also plenty of evidence that nothing happens in their afterlife, so... Anyways... So note that Kira didn't have to be private with... Oh, did I write down her name? Uh, Paula. Trenton Paula. And I like that, because she didn't. She's with friends and crew members. There is no reason to keep this secret from them. There is no reason to have them not track the call. But she does so as a kindness, as an intangible thing, because Kira cares about those sort of little details. And it's just a nice detail that she would go out of her way to give her the privacy that she in no way needed just to make her feel better. It's a nice touch. It's a nice touch. Um, so then Dax and Worf go to pick her up, and they have this interesting discussion. It's actually probably the best Worf and Dax scene I've seen to date, in my opinion. It's very natural. It's very smooth. Worf banters right with her in exactly the Klingon way that he would, and she re rejoined her right back in exactly the way that she would. As ever, Ronald B. Moore, who did a lot of the writing for this episode, um, 
he just has his finger on the pulse of Klingons in general and Worf in particular. He does most of my favorite Worf episodes, so credit where credit is due. Also, side note, they have Latinum, which means that they, Starfleet officers, have currency. Now, I'm not saying that to be like, I was right! <laughs> no, I just pointed out because I think this is the first time we have formal, official, no really, on-camera confirmation that Starfleet officers do have and maintain currency of other you know, other economic systems, like Latinum, for example. Which makes sense, if I might be so bold. Even if they never need it for their own stuff, if they're ever outside of Federation territory, it's nice to have a little spending money. You know, a slush... Not slush, that's the wrong phrase. Uh, petty cash? I guess that's still a, a business term. Whatever, you know, emergency funds, right? The dash funds. Anyways. <clears throat> so... Uh, the way that she died is actually horrible. And again, very precise. A tiny device that is specifically designed to disrupt your rematerialization. And based on what we see, it's absolutely agonizing. It's funny because Afmet pointed out many times that the transporter itself is a weapon. In so many ways, the transporter is a weapon. But I've never actually considered past this episode the idea of the interaction of something else with the transporter making it a weapon. Because there's a certain horribleness to that. Now what's funny is, as Dax points out, their transporters automatically scan for this kind of stuff, just in case. We've never even heard of this before, and yet transporters automatically scan for this stuff, even on a runabout. And yet, this one was precise enough to be able to get through somehow. They never actually explained that one, unfortunately. I always wondered how this guy managed to accomplish all this, if I might be so bold. Because Prin is a rambling madman who was a guy who folded uniforms. So why does he have access to this extremely precise tech, and why is he so good with using it? That's never explained. It's, it's probably another of the weak points of the episode, kind of connected to the main weak point of the episode, but I'm getting off topic. So then we have a really good scene. It's a scene where Kira is escorted by a Bajoran officer past three Starfleet officers, all security, all these are security, in order to go to her room. And he checks it out before she goes to lay down. And then, cut to commercial. Hate that. Cut back from commercial. She goes out. It's dark. Oh, my God. Wait, what? Can I just say it was actually very nice to see Furl and Lupuza. Uh, Lep oh, my God. I'm mispronouncing her name. Lupazu back. Both of them were actually really cool uh, guest characters back when they showed up. The one and only other time they did. In fact, if anything, I wish we had seen more of these guys. I know, I know, you all hate me for bringing this up, but I wish we had more recurring characters. I think these two could have been interesting, especially as a... Well, the, this, they mentioned the idea that you give us the name, once you figure it out, we'll take care of them. And Kira says, no! No, we don't have hit squads. Why? Hear me out. Imagine the storytelling possibilities of basically Bajor trying to make its own Section 31, or Obsidian Order, or Tal Shiar, or I, can't, I can never remember the name of the Klingon house. You know, all of the major powers have their own little dirty black ops, wet ops, no ops kind of a situation. Why not the Bajorans? I mean, they're kind of used to that anyways, right? If anything, I'm a little surprised they never really cover this across the show's run. Spoiler alert. But I think there could have been some great potential with these two farmers who are really good at what they do. I mean, they even describe how they bypassed all this security, which was a nice little touch. And, well, they do the dirty stuff that Bajor needs done. 
And there's, there's, I, I can't even begin to say how much interest I feel that there could be from that kind of a story arc, from Kira's personal friends being part of the Black Ops group. I mean, come on. Unfortunately, they die. They get this one scene. This is another reason why Shakar didn't show up, by the way. They, the guest stars are expensive, and they already had, like, four on this episode. So, And I bring that guest star thing up because Garak should have been in this episode. No, seriously. This, I, I know Kira would never go to Garak unless she felt like he would actually help. But that's the thing. There, uh, Nana Visitor does a really good job with this episode. In fact, I would say this is probably my second favorite, maybe third favorite episode of hers overall. Um, second Skin and Duet are the other two big ones for me. To date, going up through season five. She does a really good job of portraying someone who is basically just mentally and emotionally shutting down as things are getting to her more and more. She does a great portrayal of a very specific flavor of grief and rage. There's a great scene where she actually starts beating up people who are interfering with her getting to the, the room where she was just insensate. She just wanted to open that door, keeping in mind that it's exposed space. And this is not a Starfleet vessel, so there's no force field there. Although you'd think there would be. I mean, come on, O'Brien. <laughs> also, uh, O'Brien just lost a bunch of stuff. Which kind of sucks when you think about it. As an aside, notice that O'Brien wasn't there when it went off. Once again, that precision thing. Anyways. So, yeah, she does a great job of portraying this. And the reason I bring that up with relation to Garrick is because I think that if she was this far gone to do what she does at the end of the episode, without repercussions for some reason, I think she would have been willing to go to Garrick and say, who did this? I'm not playing around with you. I'm not dancing around. This is not a game. Several of my friends have just been murdered in cold blood. Who did this? But the reason they didn't do that is because they already had four guest stars. And guest stars are a major expense when it comes to Star Trek. It's set, uh, on-set locations, guest stars, and extensive space sequences. Those are the three big expenses when it comes to Star Trek. So, anywho. Um, <laughs> one of the things I like about this episode, and this is a very Moore thing, Ronald Lee Moore thing. At the beginning of the episode, it starts with, you know, you're taking your herbs, right? And the, the couple, before they got destroyed horribly... Uh, they offer her fresh herbs, you know, brand new ones. And she says, there's this really, really good scene, I'm sorry to gush, where she says, thanks. And then there's a pause, the camera stays on her, and then she says, thanks, for real. Because it's a really sweet gesture, and she really appreciates them being here, and them being a part of this, and them caring about her, and everything. It's just, it's a really great moment. But the herbs are there again. Anyways, so, explosion happens, Mile wasn't there. She gives this very, very human story about joining a terrorist group. <laughs> Whether that actually is qualified as a terrorist group or not is probably up to the definitions of individuals, but for my personal definition, I think it's fair to say that what Kira did was terrorism. Because, well, because of what I already said, that she had no problem attacking civilians because it was in her mind that they deserved to die just as much as anyone else did. So deliberately going after civilian targets, that's eh, a little more debatable. So this is a big gray morass here, and I'm not trying to lay judgment. That's not my point. Sorry, I never put the gloves back on after the last episode. But <laughs> what I love best about the scene where she talks about it is there is no... None. Zero. Grief or remorse about killing people. She doesn't even talk about it. She doesn't emphasize it. 
You remember Miles? All the way back in The Wounded, season three of TNG, or no, sorry, season four of TNG. My, or my, what was that season three? I don't remember, but it was a while ago, last year. Miles gave this whole speech about how he accidentally killed someone and how much that bothered him, how much it affected him to kill someone. Kira, in her speech, doesn't even mention the killing. She just mentions that as soon as the hatch opened, she fired until she ran out of juice. Which is a bit wasteful, but whatever. And I point that out because the killing was so inconsequential and normal to her that it didn't even register. And that's the point. Why would you bring that? It's the, it's the water thing I just mentioned in just last episode. You don't talk about drinking water. Why would you talk about killing? Because that's where she was at. And it's hard to lay judgment on that, if I'm being completely blunt and honest. Because, well, we could look at that and say, that's wrong. And arguably, that is wrong. But we weren't there in that doing that, were we? I've talked many, many times about the concept of in the moment, but there's another concept that's related to in the moment, and it's in the extended moment. I don't have a proper term for it. It's the idea of when you are really broken down, when you are really torn apart, when you are really just strained and horrible and dark, terrible circumstances, you can learn things about yourself that you probably don't want to know. I've mentioned before, I've been through that kind of thing myself twice. Three times. And, well, it's hard to, to judge regardless of the morality, as weird as that may sound. I mean, it's one thing to look at Kira and say you shouldn't have killed the civilians. You should have been more precise. And it's another thing just to be there. I mean, for example, precise killings require effort, right? There's actually a concept that uh, Metal Gear Solid does some stuff with. You know, a really good soldier doesn't need to kill or can kill very precisely. Whereas it's much, much easier to just bomb a building, right? So what they did was the easy thing, but what they, were they doing it because it was easy? Were they doing it because they hated all Cardassians, or were they doing it because it was all they had available to them? I mean, they didn't exactly have the backing of some major power giving them, you know, Soviet arms or whatever. They had nothing. They had what they could scramble or, scra or scrape or scavenge or other S-words that also have a C in them. So it's kind of easy to understand how you kind of get into the mentality of killing being normal, right? I'm not condoning it. I'm just trying to explain it. Odo says he's going to find these people. Probably called in some serious contacts back in the Cardassians to get this list. What I like best is he says, I'm going to find these people, and Kira says, with absolute sincerity, I know you will. <laughs> By the way, fun fact, Kira's baby comes up a lot in this episode, which is funny because in real life, Nana Visitor had given birth by this point in time, so she just had a, you know, a thing under her shirt. But I bring that up because at multiple times, that baby literally saves her life. At least twice that I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, arguably three times, because the herbs is because of the baby. She doesn't open the airlock because of the baby, and she ends up being able to convince the guy to give her a sedative because of the baby. In, in all three circumstances, her, her life is saved as a result of this. There's just something wonderfully poetic about the fact that a total innocent, a 100% innocent being, was able to save the terrorist, possibly, Kira, and... I don't know. I don't have much else to add to that. So Kira gets the list. Great scene. I already commented on that. He immediately goes to find her. There's the fake-out hologram. She's shot out. And then and then we finally see Prin, Mr. Oglesby, do his shtick. He comes across as a little too crazy for my taste, if I could be completely honest. I don't care for that. 
Mostly because of preference. Uh, don't mistake me. I like a good crazy character. But one of the things that Hollywood tends to do in general a little bit too much is tra portray someone who is crazy who is also really, really smart. You know what I mean, right? You know you know what the, the archetype I'm talking about. And the, I, I just, I'm looking at this guy and I'm just thinking, how did he do all this stuff? Anyway, I've already complained about that. I don't want to mention it too much more. But I do want to mention... So I want to mention the core point, which I've already started talking about, so let's go ahead and finish talking about it, shall we? She doesn't feel guilty. She doesn't show a scrap of guilt. Even after she kills him, she doesn't show any kind of remorse. That's interesting. Now, we know that Moore was specifically pushing for that because he, he said so. It's, it's, it's in an interview, which is in the book down here. But he mentions, she mentions... Basically, a virulent hatred, and this is what I wanted to, to to touch on, because it really boils down to two possibilities: either she hates Cardassians, or she hates Cardassians, Cardassians on Bajor. Which do you think it is? Because remember, I can't remember his name from back in Duet. I can't remember his real name. Was on Bajor, and was arguably tortured. Mentally, emotionally tortured by the by the occupation, and she obviously cared about him. She had the opportunity to just murder him. She could have just turned her head and let them take him away and kill him. She literally had the power to kill him and get away with it scot free, but she didn't. Why? Well, you could argue that's because that was an individual that she connected to. But if I could be so bold, I think Kira is more complex than that. I think it's because he regretted it. Because he, Maritza, that was it, Maritza hated himself for it. Would cover his ears, you know, he hated himself for it. This guy was a spiteful, bitter old man who just killed several of her friends. In other words, to put it bluntly, I don't think she actually does hate Cardassians like that, as a species or the occupiers. I think that she stands by her statements, of, uh, as in what she did back in the day, because in her mind they were all acceptable targets at the time. Now that time has moved forward, what you have done after that determines what she thinks of you. And this is a recurrent thread, very quiet in the background of this episode, because we see what all these people have done with their lives after that hell. Right at the beginning, the guy who shot right at the beginning, he did some violent, horrible stuff, and Kira even mentions that, but that he had finally been able to move on and make, and, and she doesn't say this, but make something of his life, make something better of his life. The idea of what you do now. Okay, we're in a war zone, and as far, and I really do believe that Kira considered all Cardassians on Bajor to be acceptable targets. I really do. And Terak Nor, obviously, I shouldn't have to include that. I think she just looked at that like, yep, you're here, you, you got the ridges, you're dead. But I don't think she is that simplistic anymore. Make sense? In fact, and, and I say I'm still I'm still not explaining that perfectly, because that implies that she was <sighs> that implies that she disagrees with her previous uh, perspective, and I don't think that's true. I think that she if she had seen Maritza back in the day, she would have killed him without a second thought. But now that time has moved on, she is now willing to consider additional circumstances and stimuli, and in no small part because of Maritza, because of the other Cardassians she's been able to interact with who have proven that they are actually decent people. Unfortunately, we don't see that many of them. I think we were up to a grand total of four at this point in time, but you get my point. Anyways, 
I have not else to say about this one. This is we're, we're getting in some really dark stuff, and we're not even at the war yet. Good God! <sighs> Hope you guys enjoyed. I'll see you next time.